0: not very long ago a friend of mine called he is not of our faith and he said Pete I just don't want Christmas this year he went on to list all the things that are wrong and when he finished I said we may not want Christmas but we need Christmas It is not an exaggeration to say that this is the most bizarre Christmas most of us have ever celebrated. Some 320,000 Americans have died from COVID 19, many of whom had to die alone without loved ones to comfort them as they passed. Some 18.1 million of us have had or are now struggling with the virus. Millions are suffering economic hardships, the full ramifications of which our society has not yet felt. In response to calls to reduce the spread of this virus, our churches are required to severely limit the number of people who can attend mass and other services to keep within social distancing limits. We have to wear face masks. We must avoid touching each other. We can't even sing Christmas carols because singing has been shown to release greater concentrations of viral matter into the shared breathing space. We are all fatigued by these measures. The pandemic is not the only reason why this is the most bizarre Christmas we have ever celebrated. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, we are witnessing a degree of national divisiveness that has not plagued our nation since the Civil War. Those who shall soon assume power now call for national unity, which to be brutally honest rings hollow and reeks of hypocrisy as it comes from the same people who spent four years doing everything possible to overthrow a sitting president without any concern for the consequences all their plots, schemes, and manipulation of a compliant media would have on the national psyche. We've seen a breakdown in law and order in some of our major cities, all led by progressive ideologues who excused looters and those who burned businesses while simultaneously trying to defund the police, thus depriving the most vulnerable of the very protection civil governments are obligated to provide. Many of these government officials have enacted draconian laws to close down small businesses, or so severely curtailed them that their survival is in question. They have treated houses of worship even worse, so much so that a number of religious communities have sought redress in the courts. And it must be said that the often imprudent, nasty, Childish rhetoric from the president has only served to intensify the divisiveness. We cannot ignore that a dysfunctional institutional church also contributed to making this a bizarre Christmas. The Vatican has been embroiled in financial corruption that required the removal of at least one cardinal thus far, The sexual perversions of the disgraced ex-Cardinal, now Mr. McCarrick, has finally come to light. And keep in mind that a number of current American bishops and a few of our Cardinals owe their positions to that man, and that should be a source of concern. The Vatican has contributed to doctrinal confusion, We have witnessed bishops openly supporting politicians who claim the title Catholic, but delight in flaunting Catholic teaching, which forces laity and priests to rightly question the fidelity of those bishops. And yet, and yet, it is under this convergence of such ominous clouds of political, social, and religious confusion that the mystery of Christmas encounters us. and That is a good thing. Why? Similar clouds were present just prior to, during, and immediately after the first Christmas. Herod the Great, coming towards the end of his life, ruled by terrorizing the population with what we would call state police surveillance, mercilessly eliminating anyone perceived to oppose him. Herod wiped out nearly all his male relatives, including most of his sons, in a paranoid bid to cling to power. Riots broke out among the faithful when he ordered a Roman imperial eagle to be erected at the temple gate, and those who resisted the sacrilege burned alive. When Herod died and his 19-year-old son assumed the throne, the people demanded reform. The new king responded by forbidding the celebration of Passover and massacring segments of the population. The apple didn't fall far from the tree there. Rancor and political divisions within Judaism intensified. Compelling the Jewish historian of that time, Josephus, to write with no little sadness, quote, there were 10,000 disorders in Judea. Close quote. There was nothing stable to cling to. Adding to the tensions was Rome's decision to pull two legions from Syria. Thou that would have been up to 12,000 soldiers and sweep through Galilee, butchering or enslaving whole populations. There is a reason why St. Joseph is often portrayed in Christian art, such as in our crescent, holding a staff. He wasn't a shepherd. He was a carpenter. The staff was the poor man's weapon for self-defense. Such were the circumstances of the world when God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, why did God choose such a time of civil unrest, social upheaval, intense religious factions, animosity, political divisions, and eruptions of violence to make his entrance into history as one of us. He wanted to teach the world then, to teach us today, and teach all generations to come that we must never look to the powerful of this world for our salvation. They cannot give that one thing the human soul is designed to crave for and thrive in, especially when overwhelmed by darkness. And that is hope. The hope that God offered then in the belly of the beast and offers us now as we contend with the beasts of our time is not the false hope of politicians academicians, or social elitists. They promise what they have no capacity to deliver. A utopia on earth. The price they demand for the unattainable, however, is steep. The surrender of our humanity, our autonomy, and become obedient little lemmings that blindly follow their agendas. What God offered in the mystery of that first Christmas and every Christmas since and offers this morning is the assurance of his unfailing love for us, the very love that is the substance of his being, a love that empowers us to glimpse how he sees us and how we can and ought To see ourselves and each other, which enables us to transform everything from our families, our parishes, our communities, our nation, and yes, even our world, if we have the will to do it. Politicians, academicians, the social elitists, and sad to say some churchmen, are not motivated by love for us. They are motivated, rather, by the insatiable acquisition of power. The hallmark of genuine love is sacrifice, which God has shown in becoming one of us so we can become one with him, suffering as one of us so we can find meaning in our sufferings and unite them with his emptying himself on the cross and dying as one of us to liberate us from the terror of the grave, descending into hell as one of us to break the chains of sin and death, rising from the dead as one of us so we can rise to our true status as God's irreplaceable, non-substitutable sons and daughters, each having an eternal value, and ascending into heaven as one of us so that we can be restored to our true homeland. The mystery of Christmas does not depend on large crowds filling our churches, as wonderful as that is. It does not depend on music and carols comes to us no matter what dark historical conditions we face just as it did over 2,000 years ago. The mystery of Christmas ultimately depends on if we accept how much our God loves us, if we accept the gift of hope he offers, and if we will allow that love, that hope, to be the foundation of how we live our lives and treat each other however dark and uncertain the time we are in. The mystery of Christmas has not been found lacking. It is our response to the mystery that is in question.